you're listening to the Games Industry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by Brendan Sinclair, Marie D'Alessandri, and uh, Chris Dring. Still, still unsure of your own identity. <laughs> I tried to do it very differently there. I've got a croaky voice as well, so I thought I would. Um... I'll be honest, I'm just impressed that we all remembered the right order now that Matt's off today and uh, Rebecca has sadly left us. So, <laughs> We're going to be talking about the biggest games industry stories of the past week. We are not going to be talking about the GameStop stock surge uh, for two reasons. One is increasingly that's not really a games industry story because it's it's a financial story. It's about the, the stock market. It just happens to be that a GameStop is the stock in question. This is being done with a, a you know, the, the squeeze is being done with a number of other stocks. Um, and the other reason is we are recording this on a Friday afternoon. This story is still ongoing. So anything we say uh, is certainly going to be irrelevant by Tuesday afternoon when this uh, this podcast goes up. But it's probably going to be irrelevant by the time we finish recording because that's how quickly things are changing. We are instead going to be talking about a piece that Chris wrote uh, last week, which is... Can the games industry keep its COVID customers? Now, the title there is somewhat self-explanatory, but I'm going to pass over to Chris to uh, kind of summarise your thoughts. So I, I was obviously I spent a chunk of the last month looking at the 2020 market data, and and it looks wonderful, right? It's, it's brilliant numbers um, for the games industry. Um, in some market sales, the games are up like almost 30, percent and then you know, but the reason why the market grew wasn't because of the big new games like. Last of Us, Animal Crossing, Assassin's Creed and Cyberpunk. It was because of console sales and it was because of games released before 2020. And I mean, it's not a surprise, but that indicates something. That indicates that the people who um, the people who drove that 30% market increase in some territories were people who um, are new to video games that came in because of the lockdown, because they're stuck at home and they wanted to play games. And I say new, there's also lapsed players. There's the people that may have played the PS4 for a few years, put it down and moved over to, um, and uh, and it's been sitting in a shelf or it's been being used as the Netflix device or something. They're stuck at home. They've got a kids to entertain. Um, they've got something, to, they need something to do. Gaming spiked. And that's why Call of Duty Modern Warfare was one of the best selling games of last year. It was actually quite close to how well the new Call of Duty did. Um, and FIFA and Grand Theft Auto 5 and Mario Kart 8. These are all games that people bought um, from the year before. And that, and the actual fact, new game sales overall, and it might be because there were fewer new games released, actually dropped to last year. Um, now, the reason, the reason why this is interesting is because um, we've been in this situation as an industry before, back when the DS and the Wii came out, when loads of people who never played games before came into the console space. And um, when the Wii and the DS started to flag, particularly the Wii, those consumers disappeared. Um, they may have gone into the mobile space, they may have gone to tablets, but they disappeared from the games industry. And the games that sort of they were obsessed by sort of faded away, motion control gaming faded away. And it creates this um, interesting... Um, and it wasn't just... This time it isn't just social gamers. But it um, but it, it, did cre- it has created this interesting situation where how can the games industry, what can the games industry do, noting that, you know, development situations has been made challenging, to keep these people from playing and engaging in the industry once they can go back outside again, once they can go to the pubs, once they can go to the gyms, how do they keep those people engaged? And that's what the article was about. It was about things that the industry can do um, with with the things that are available to them. Um, and then the other part, and this wasn't part of the article, but it's something that's come up since and talking to people since, is investors and analysts perhaps not entirely getting that um, when, uh, hopefully, when we can go back outside and the pandemic's faded away, um, the games industry may contract, it may get smaller, 
um and um and it, it and some perhaps not so close to the industry won't be will might in the headlines might be the games industry declines 10 percent or something when in reality it's it's up over the two years before but the covid has skewed those numbers and we already saw that a little bit and I, it wasn't i didn't i it wasn't big enough for me to report on but i noted that when xbox revealed it had added three million game pass subscribers over a, over a five month period, um, four month period, sorry, people were saying, "Oh, we expected more than that." And the reason why they expected more than that is because in the previous four, uh, five, four month, five month period, they added um, they added uh, five million customers. But of course, that period was COVID. That's why they added five million customers. It wasn't that the three million they've done since was bad. It's actually excellent. It's just that the previous quarter was, was well, previous period was um, ex- quite extreme. So that's what the sort of article was about. So the contraction, uh, do we think that this is on a timeline where it's going to really be seen in 2021? Or given that, you know, the first three months of the year, we're still dealing with favorable year over year comparisons and, and people that just bought a system are going to be, you know, trying to get some use out of it. Do, do we start to see the the contraction in 2021, or can it can it be pushed off to 2022? I think I mean, to be fair, it's probably not going to be instant, which is probably going to make it look less bad. But um, um, so we're not seeing it now. But then January last year was fine. Um, was, was was not you know pandemic central. Um, and then there's a few things like um, we actually did start to see some signs of decline over Christmas. Now that didn't help because. Christmas is when new games tend to sell on games like Call of Duty, Avengers, um, Star Wars game this year wasn't as big as the previous year's game. Um, Nintendo didn't have a big game this Christmas. That stuff did impact things. Um, console sales did well, of course, but um, there were stock constraints around PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, particularly in December, so after their launch. Um, so um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, that's not always linked to the pandemic, but I think I think this year we are probably going to see an element of contraction simply because um, PS4 and Xbox One sales in the UK, this is so I don't have data for the whole market, but over the COVID period actually did so well that PS4 and Xbox One sales were up year on year. By the end of the year, and again, it depends on the market, sales of Xbox One and PS4 consoles were down about 30 to 40 percent. So um, in the end, it was a big decline, as you would expect in a in a transition year. Um I'm not sure it was as bad as, as it would have been in, in any other normal year, but um, it was it was a big decline. And um, this so that so those consoles have declined now quite heavily. So we'll see that in the console space. Nintendo, I expect, will keep doing well. Um, and but, but it's just it's the availability of the new consoles. And there's I was and there's um so there's a and then there's this lack of games. Like I think we're starting now to see that that impact. We didn't see it initially. You know, we had Final Fantasy and Resident Evil and Last of Us and Animal Crossing. But I think we're really going to start seeing it now where there just isn't any games available ready yet. So um, as we head it, and, and you're also going to get situations where publishers, and I've spoken to a couple this week, who are a bit nervous launching their PS5 and Xbox Series games at the minute because the install base on those platforms are, are isn't exactly about to spike up very quickly because of the nature of um, of the distribution challenges that they face. So <clears throat> there's a there's a so I think we will see some contraction, particularly in the first half of the year. Um, I think that again, like like the retail industry has been at the minute, perhaps a bit reliant on Nintendo. Um, but I don't think it's an indicator of um, market health. I think it's just, I I think you know the COVID impact on the games industry, like it is on others, is really going to be felt sort of as the pandemics hopefully fades away. Um, and that's the and that was the point of the article. It was like you know, 
how do we make sure that some of the benefits that we've enjoyed over the last 18 months and I, I use that in like a very very commercial term I know it wasn't a good t- it's not been a good time for anybody um how how can the industry what can the industry do to um keep those players engaged what can play- PlayStation you know Jim Ryan was saying in an interview back in October that the number of people playing PlayStation 4 is the highest it's been in years well that's not a good good marketplace to launch a PlayStation 5 in if everyone's playing your previous console so how do you keep those people engaged in that platform long enough for them wanted them what to want to they're not going to want to move to ps5 straight away how do you how do you keep them around what activities can you do what offers can we do you know and it's um yeah that's what the article's about and i and yeah i mean you mentioned two things out I wanted to uh, talk about, I guess. Uh, the first one is the lack of games across uh, Xbox and PlayStation. And like when I was preparing here for the podcast, um, I was just going through the list of games releasing in 2021. And I was like, wow, there is nothing. I mean, there's a few things, but really nothing really that I thought was life-changing, really. Um, and so... That's why I think, and that's what you mentioned in your article as well, that Xbox Game Pass is is what has the most changes to retain those new players that have joined during the pandemic, really, because I don't think people who have started um, playing video games over the last year or while returning to it um, are necessarily people that are going to be passionate about playing the latest games. And they probably won't want to buy fully priced games in the long run or maybe they will, honestly, I don't know, but I feel like they probably don't really care that much about the latest big games. Um, Like, yeah, so I think what they care about is having that library of games that they can access at any time, and when when they have a bit of time, they can just download one, play it. Will they finish it? Probably not, but that's okay, because, like, the next day or the next week, they maybe will try something else, and maybe it will click in this case. But, yeah, I think, I think they're more interesting in that type of services rather than just... Um, yeah, playing the latest big games, and um, so that was the one, the first thing, and then the second thing about PlayStation specifically, um, which like kind of worries me as to whether they'll be able to retain the players they gained, is that they don't have any family-friendly games, and I feel like a lot of people who have turned to gaming over the past year are people who are trying to find like um, like a new source of entertainment for themselves, but also keep their children busy. So yes, probably most of them went for a Switch, but I suspect there might be a few people who still went for a PlayStation. I don't know. Uh, but like Sackboy is a great example of a family-friendly game, for instance. But in the long run, they, they don't have any game really that families want to play together. And so for that reason, I think they're going to be struggling. There's other reasons, of course, but that's one of the reasons why I think like PlayStation is probably not in a great place to retain like at least families uh, among among the new players that have joined over, over the past year. One thing that I think is um, really different this time compared to like 2007 or eight when like the the DS crowd kind of faded away and then after that when the Wii people uh, sort of put them in the closet and let them gather dust is the industry now is so uh, focused on engagement and keeping people around in so many of their games and back then I mean you had like World of Warcraft or EverQuest had reputations for keeping people in over the long haul but you know, even they were kind of viewed as like unicorns almost, you know, the way that we look at Grand Theft Auto V right now and say, how is this even possible that it's still doing this? Um, and, I, and I think actually that that will, 
uh, I agree with Marie's point about, you know, the, the family angle really helping switch maintain its, its momentum. Um, and that being like a glaring weak spot. And I think it's weak for both PlayStation and Xbox. Um, but I, I do think just the, the way that, um, the industry has, has turned to live operations and loot boxes and all kinds of, you know, psychological hooks to, to keep people invested in games over the long haul. I think that will, um, that w- I, th- I still think the industry is going to contract here, but I, I think it might not be as uh, as dramatic as as it was uh, what twelve thirteen years ago. Yeah, well, this is you actually hit upon. I didn't talk about the engagement thing. That's a really good one, but um, uh, I, I the industry is different, right? It's not the same. You know, the you know, and I talked about a very physical example being the Wii wasn't a very flexible device. It was really a game built for family and <clears throat> casual games. It wasn't It wasn't very good at the core game experience. The Switch is good at that. It sort of does both of those things as an example. So in terms of um, keeping, you know, when, in terms of having like that flexibility of, of, of use, um, that's something the Switch has got. As, um, and, um, uh, and as you pointed out, the engagement thing is like, the games industry doesn't need to release loads of games to keep these people engaged, it just needs to keep updating the ones that it's done. You know, loads of people came into Just Dance last year as an example, was the family example. But Ubisoft don't need to quickly rush out another Just Dance. I mean, they will, they'll do one in October, I'm sure, but they can just keep looking after that Just Dance, keep that Just Dance consumer playing before the next one. And and um, and it's actual fact what Nintendo is doing, like Animal Crossing was a hit all through the year. It wasn't a big seller at the beginning and then faded away. It, kept, it was number one in the UK charts for half of this month. And it's it's been Nintendo just keep updating it. That didn't happen with the with the Wii uh, games. You know those those they replaced them with sequels, and and these aren't this isn't what's happening this time. Smash Brothers is still going, so there is that. You're right, engagement element. It's a very different industry. I think the industry is in a much better place to be able to keep hold of those audiences. They will be facing more competition. That's the thing, right? You know when when not you know the moment their competition is Disney Plus and it's Netflix, um, their competition will suddenly get much broader and much more, and um, there'll be people that will go I got my game pass game pass was the perfect I mean Marie talked about game pass and that's interesting because I had a sort of different concern with game pass like it was the perfect lockdown item you know you could play as many games you like jump in and jump out and um and uh, uh and you had nothing to do stuck at home look game pass when you can start going out more your game pass time will start to reduce naturally and then and then you get to that point where you have to renew your Game Pass membership or, or you may remember that Microsoft has done something to remind you that you have a Game Pass membership and you're like, oh, actually, I've only really played one game in the last year. I'm not sure I need this anymore. And that is the, um, and that's one of the, um, um, that's one of the potential phenomena. But, you know, it, it just means there'll be a temporary contract. Like I think, I think if we compare, our, if we look at it, if we look at, if, if we look at the industry as a graph over a period of five years, I think, I think we should see a situation where, yes, there'll be a dip post-COVID. But if you can, you know, overall things are going in, a, you know, we would have had a bit of a bounce. Mate, if Nintendo can do what they'd failed to do with the Wii, which is keep some of those people engaged, keep some of them playing, you know, um, then that's that's really good. I think it helps that the Switch isn't full of isn't full of shovelware in the same way that the Wii was. It's full of indie games and sure, some of them aren't great, but they're all trying to do something quality um, or interesting and, and they're not just, it's not just endless carnival games clones. So 
I think I think we're in a different position. But I think this is the thing like um, uh, 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 PlayStation, for instance. PlayStation said that before the pandemic, before this was even a, you know, COVID was even a word that we even knew. Um, it was all about um, r- racing to get PS4 customers into PS5 customers. And that's still their objective, right? They still want to convert people to PS5. But when you've got millions of people playing on PlayStation 4 still, um, and they're new, like either they're new or they're lapsed players, you can't expect them to jump to PS5. So PlayStation are going to have to be really aggressive in keeping hold of those PS4 players. And I don't just mean in making Horizon a PS4 game as well. That stuff you can't really do very easily. But, you know, promotions, PS Plus deals, loads of stuff just go, hey, you want to keep you want to keep playing on PlayStation 4? Because at one point, if they can keep them engaged for another year, another couple of years, maybe then they will move to PlayStation 5. I think that's an opportunity for PlayStation. Um, it's just uh, it just involves them having to really support two platforms um, rather than try and force a load of people over to a new device um, straight away. Um, so there's loads of things. I think and depending on the company you are, you might be a publisher or a developer, you'll have a new audience that would have come in. It's about looking at that audience and working out what you can do to try and try and keep them playing um, within reason, obviously. You don't no, that's the other thing you know we don't want to we use the word engagement and keeping them playing i'm always a little bit wary of like we don't want them overplaying, um but um we want a healthy balanced world but um but just to keep them at least in touch with you you were talking about a um a slowdown in new releases and um then murray mentioned it as as well and i it makes sense to me and uh you're probably talking to more people um, off the record than I am about this, but it seems to me that we're like this. It feels like this in January. A lot of times is, is there's big games coming up and they're just, they don't have dates yet. And there's one or two big things that you're like, okay, well there's resident evil eight, there's halo infinite, there's horizon. Um, but you kind of like overall, you just look at the, the release schedule and it's kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't know what's really going to move the needle. And then, you know, as the year goes on, companies start announcing release dates on things and it becomes a lot more clear. I mean, like the Switch in particular, I think right now is I was just looking at it the other day and thinking like, oh, man, what's my next game on this going to be? I guess there's the Bowser's Fury 3D Mario World, but there's nothing really else. And then I was like, oh, well, there's Bravely Default. There's Monster Hunter Rise, uh, Pokemon Snap, like there's there's stuff coming and i i don't know if it's like i'm i'm curious how much of this um you know we're going to hit a dry spell of new releases is just kind of like people reasoning this out from from what they they hear in the press of executives saying like okay well yeah we we've still hit some problems with uh with development delays and and how much of it is actually like um you know maybe we know of we've talked to people and they have actually told us like yeah this is this is going to get kind of sparse here it'd be interesting to see how quickly that becomes clear like over the course of the year because as you as you say brendan like usually yeah this time of year we don't really know what the big q4 games are for example i think we can guess that there'll be a call of duty to fifa possibly an assassin's creed or at least some sort of big ubisoft open world game but beyond that we don't know Usually, 
the announcements feel like they're kind of concentrated around late Q2 and then E3 is where you get like the big ones. And the amount of like you know, recent years, certainly the last five, ten years, it feels like there's been more announcements of, right, here's a massive game that's coming in less than six months rather than here's a game that's coming out, you know, in two or three years. You get a mix of those as well. Obviously, you know, I know E3, are work, you know, ESA are working on an E3 digital for this year, but we're almost certainly not going to have the show in the sense that we usually do. Um, we kind of established last year that I don't, well, I don't know if we established last year how successful um, all these kind of online digital announce events work, even though there were so so damn many in the summer. So I'd be intrigued. It, it might feel like there's kind of a trickle of new announcements and releases, and then by kind of August September, it's like oh no, actually we've got yeah. a really good lineup for Q3, Q4, or the end of Q, you know September and Q4. Um, Whereas usually, like by that, that's much clearer by kind of June, July. I wonder, I wonder how slow the 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 trickle announcements. I, I, will be I, I think because you, you know, you know how bad developers are at planning anyway. You know, people end up crunching at the end of their development cycle because they say, "Oh, we're gonna have a game out October the thirty first and they say that in February, and you know full well they don't know that. But they do tell. They still mostly tend to hit their dates, maybe a slight slip, um, even if they have to, you know crunch a little bit which is you know terrible but you know that this is the industry is right now i think it's re- even because hu- they're not used to working this way even though they're doing it a year but they, they still don't really used to it i think they are just nervous saying this game will be available then because they don't know and um, we've already seen slips to games that actually were only announced release dates were announced relatively recently um uh what's it the um uh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, the Returnal game that's on PS5, for instance. You know that had a that was coming soon, and it's just been pushed back. Um, and it get pushed back and pushed back. And I think that's, I think that's a, a a case of you know, and it's very normal for Nintendo to announce games late. But you always tend to get an E3. Last year, they always want to end on something big, and if they don't have something big for Christmas, they might end on something big for the following year. So we tend to have a few more ideas about what's coming. But last year there was no pressure to do that because there was no big E3. So. Um, um, so I think we've seen a little bit. I think Brendan's saying is right. Some of it is that, but you know, Nintendo actually Nintendo tend to like to have a big game or not a big game, a game a month on their platform. They have a game a month on their platform this year, and Brendan ran through them there. Um, and um, so, and that should be great. But obviously, we don't know anything beyond that. Um, and uh, PlayStation have got a Ratchet and Clank game. We know they've got Gran Turismo. They say they've got Horizon. They say they've got God of War this year. I'm very doubtful all four will land this 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 year but that's um that's still a decent lineup and then you've got ubisoft with far cry and and they'll have they'll have a and the prince of persia remakes so there are games you know activision probably don't have a lot um so you know that there's in terms of the triple a games that there are some coming and they just i suspect that they'll announce them when they can be rel- you know far more confident they'll hit those dates and in this current environment i think it's really hard um, to to be able to be that confident, and that's probably why we're sort of twiddling our thumbs um, at the minute, and um, not entirely sure when things are going to land. And it's actually quite frustrating as a as an analyst, but as a fan of games, um, not knowing what to look forward to. You know, the, even Resident Evil was coming out in May, but of course, anyone who followed the leaks last year knew that was supposed to come out a month earlier. That game must be nearly finished now, um, but um, they needed an extra month. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think I think we're going to see shorter. We're going to see shorter bursts from announce of release date to release than we have done in previous um, previous years. We did it. We had it last year. I think we'll have Nintendo announced all of their Mario games and released them in like five weeks later. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, this is this has got to be. 
this has just got to be the most miserable time to be marketing video games. I, I mean, they're they're doing well yeah, when they release, sure. but it's like, yeah, that that Mario uh, 3D All Stars was what three weeks notice <laughs> between mm. like this exists to this is on on shelves and yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm sure that there's there are a lot of like conventional wisdom. Just this is the way you do it. That that do not apply this year and last year. That they're just having to you know make stuff up on the fly around mm. yeah. you yeah you man- you mentioned like, that, like i just wonder like what in, in keeping these players that join in, in recent months i wonder like yeah i don't know i know that i had a text from one of my friends the other day telling me she was playing monkey island too and then at the beginning of the pandemic another friend asked me like for recommendations because they wanted to go back to playing Pokemon for the first time in like 20 years uh, so they wanted to buy a Switch and like we're wondering whether or not they should go for Pokemon Let's Go Pokemon Sword and Shield and blah 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 and so yeah I just, I'm just wondering whether like nostalgia is an important part of the equation here because people have been going back to playing games uh, because all of a sudden they had time to think about those games they were playing as a kid or as young adults or whatever. And mm. yeah, I don't know what I'm saying really no, no, here, no. but I, no, I, I agree. Like we don't know how many of these, as much as there's a lot of people who have bought consoles for the first time in the last year, we don't know how many of these people are lapsed gamers who, who, who had consoles you know, back in the day and have now returned to the hobby. We don't know. <laughs> I, I swear. I know a couple of people who's like, actually, yeah, I haven't played games in a while. I'll pick up the, the you know, the PlayStation four. I, I, I remember these games. I'll, I'll buy these like that's that's definitely an element and the trouble is that there's no statistical way of of doing that we do know the industry has still been you know like uh, capitalizing on nostalgia very well in the last few years i mean Mm -hmm. the fact that playstation right now playstation right now is running a retro and remasters sale like now that may just be you know partly kind of just an act a promotional activity to push kind of you know all these games but it may also be a calculated way of like right we've got a lot of people on playstation 4 who used to game and and are now back with us let's push forward these heavily discounted games that they may or may not have played already before or games that remind them of the games they've played before that may be an element well you've got yeah me. that's what I'm, i was thinking about that because like i think pokemon snap is going to do really well for that reason even maybe mario 3d world um but yeah sorry chris go ahead no i was saying i mean i hope pokemon snap does well i think um yeah i, me think, too. I think as n64 fans uh, we, we think that game may have been bigger than it was um but, yeah. um, but <laughs> it's um um mario 3d world will be be a bit that'll be a big hit that's going to be that's going to be a big hit um but um but um, the um, the nostalgia thing we've we've talked about this before, but I actually I do think it may have been accelerated as a result of the pandemic because there's people that's they're lapsed gamers, right? They're people who were perhaps too you know haven't run out of time to play games, don't have the chance to, and suddenly they have the time to, and um, and so you know what do people who are a little bit older want to play? They want to play the games they loved when they were kids, um, and you sort of to be fair, you saw it in other industries, you saw it in music, you saw people like Kylie Minogue in the UK score one of her most successful album hits and all this kind of stuff i know music isn't something that really eats up people's time but i think it's sort of a an example of sort of people wanting to engage with entertainment from their youth because they have time to sort of do that um and um so i do think we'll start seeing that switch is a very nostalgic product and i wrote of course my game of the year thing that i did last year ran for all the games i played last year and it was the super mario collection that game is nintendo's second biggest launch of last year after animal crossing you know it was it was it it was it sold i mean i i think it sold five million in its first weekend i'd be very interested to see how it's done when nintendo's financials which will probably be any day now um come through um that was a big hit last year i don't know if, if tony hawks is quite the same here but there was loads of these um 
nostalgic products. Upon saying that, though, some didn't do so well, like the Star Wars sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, wrote the Squadrons game, which is reminiscent of those old Star Wars games and and Crash 4. And it's not everything um, um, sort of performed incredibly well, but you definitely had a a bit of a nostalgic boost, I think. Um, I don't think that's a... It's, it's, it's a good observation. Again, it's hard to track the numbers or anything on that, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, and and those are, again, but in many ways, this is talking about, I was talking about how the industries actually might already be quite well-placed to capitalise on this, is that if they have won over a load of old people that used to play games when they were younger and they've come back, you know, if they're coming to the Switch, the Switch is a device that fits into your life a little bit. You know, you can play it wherever and whenever. It's full of old games. It's got full of new games that feel like old games. Um, it is, you know, it's a and, and those games are still coming out. So I think, um, I think if you're um, if you've just come in, if you're one of those sort of gamers that have come in, there's a good chance for the games industry to keep hold of them. There's a good chance, whether it's whether it's a, a core gamer that used to love Grand Theft Auto that's played Grand Theft Auto Five and they're going to be continually engaged. Whether it's um, um, a, a new customer discovering Animal Crossing for the first time. Whether it's um, a nostalgic gamer that's come back in. I think there's stuff coming in the schedule, stuff that's been released in the past that you know the industry can promote, do offers on, do updates for that will keep people um, keep people playing and, and you know hanging around in the industry. They're not just going to disappear. Um, hopefully, and it just, I just think it's just if we think about it as a collective business, and then, then, um, then I, I should think that yes, there will be some contraction, but hopefully, as Brendan said at the start, um, um, we'll we'll be able to keep some of them around. Your point about Kylie Minogue um, brought up something else I, I wanted to ask about. Um, in the piece, you said that old games last year actually sold better than new releases. Like usually, usually new releases are are the big driving factors for. Um, a year's revenues and then last year because it was a slightly quieter year in terms of new releases actually the older games sold better I wonder if this brings us more in line with other forms of entertainment now grant you I don't know the exact sales statistics for other forms of entertainment but I would hazard a guess that books are primarily driven by older book sales than they are by newer book sales because I don't know how many people buy books like the day they come out. Like films, uh, not okay, not not films, but like um, DVDs, Blu-rays, home entertainment releases. I'd um, I'd imagine or I'd assume that you know previous releases, older films, older box sets sell just as much, if not more, than new releases each year. Same with albums. You know, new albums are going to do well enough, but surely people are still buying old you know compilations or picking up older albums. Like I wonder if. If games is coming is is being brought more into line with that, where actually it's not, it doesn't have to be just driven by the new releases. Obviously, new releases keep things going, keep the 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 avid enthusiasts going, but the that wider audience can pick up stuff that you know is is several years old. So to be clear, um, um, I didn't, I actually don't know if old games sold better than new games last year. Um, that might not even be a, a, a sensational revelation. Um, I know that old it was old games that delivered the growth. So it was old games that, you know, the industry grew last year because of old games, um, because they sold really well, whereas new games actually declined a little bit. And I actually am not entirely sure. There were fewer new games released last year. But if you look at, you know, you look at Marvel's Avengers, it didn't do very well, did it? Um, Squadrons, I mentioned that, but Crash 4 didn't do great. Um uh, Assassin's Creed did really well. Last of Us did. Animal Crossing did. But then Final Fantasy 7 didn't. Resident Evil 3 didn't. There's quite a few games. I'm not. They weren't all flops, by the way. This, they weren't all like, massive successes. Um, but Call of Duty, the new Call of Duty, didn't. And that, and that was that's where I um that's why I was sort of um suggesting when it came to um 
performance of um, new games. I think as an industry, as we get older and more mature, and we have um, we have different age groups and different gen- different d- diverse groups of people. It become you know the industry has in the past been driven by the most hardcore of hardcore customers. I do think that's that's been it changed drastically under the Wii and the DS. I think it's changing more uh, naturally now. But um, so yeah, I, I, don't, I don't actually know. That might have always been the case. It might have always been old games that <laughs> that uh, that drove most sales. Um, I just know that last year it was unsurprisingly if you've bought a new console for the first time or just picked up a console or picked your dusted your console off the first games you bought you play aren't the 70 dollar brand new final fantasy it's the big hit game from the year before that's half the price and might actually be a better game to play so um that's all um but um i didn't answer your question james it was just a <laughs> well this is this is also um sort of about the development of the medium right because like all those other media that you talked about james they all traditionally have very long shelf lives for their products. Mm. And video games have never been like that until the advent of digital distribution. And we're still seeing uh, that sort of cement itself uh, for, for a lot of people. And, and when you have that endless shelf life, you know, when you can offer games from three years ago and they're not like taking up a spot on your shelf at the expense of something that you think is going to sell better now, then uh, I think that's just healthier at least for for the medium to have like you know a selection of games for people to to play that isn't just what came out in the last three months Mm. oh yeah yeah one other thing yeah. that I... Yeah, I guess it's easy for a bookshop to sell a book that came out 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago because people don't have to buy new eyes to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, book industry is probably not the most obvious comparison to the games industry. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is, it, it, but it is, it, you're right. What you're saying is it's a universal thing, right? It, it doesn't... Yeah. People, pe- people come in, people who are reading books for the first time or just starting to pick up a book, they'll pick the big book that been recommended to them it's only the most hardcore of readers that read everything that comes out or, or or the genre that they like or whatever like i'm really into detective books and i'm right up to date with my detective fiction you won't see me picking up an agatha christie because i've read them all um but um but um and i've got them all but uh, uh someone else is just more casual they're more likely to do that and i think in books it's such a you know you teach your kids the first thing you do you teach your kids to read stuff so it's it's a lot more of a um, it's just it, it's, it's got it's got less of that it's quite a different business but I understand what you mean yeah to give a better example then because I feel, I feel called out quite rightly <laughs> um, like you can quite happily go out and buy Iron Man on DVD or Blu-ray and it will work on your DVD or Blu-ray player because yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. DVD and Blu-ray has not changed as a format whereas you go out and buy any game any boxed game from 2008 it will not run on any any current console. You know, whether you've got you know PS4, Xbox One, or if you've got okay, maybe it'll run on Xbox One with their their hyper backwards compatibility. But you you get the point I'm saying. Like you know, games from previous generations, from previous decades, yeah, yeah. don't run on new. And that's that's a barrier for games. As, as Brendan was saying, that's a barrier for games oh, yeah, compared yeah. to other industries. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, the industry was growing anyway. You know, this it was heading in a in a growth. It just had a bit of a surge. And, you know, this is the thing you'll always get. You'll always get investors and, and, and analysts that perhaps don't get games for it as much um, who will see a decline and, you know, that's the headline. And um, and the caveats aren't put up front. It's, uh, and, 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 it, and that's the thing. You don't want, particularly the indie space, they're the ones that really suffered financially last year, I think. Um, not all indies, but some of them did, particularly ones that aren't, didn't have a game on the shelves. And I think that's something that... Um, 
Um, and this is the other thing that I'm worried about post-COVID. It's not just keeping hold of those COVID customers. I think we will keep hold of some. And it's going to be, and I think, I think the opportunity is how many can you keep hold of? It's actually also to manage that you know, is, is to message that from an industry perspective, message that to client, you know, prepare investors, set expectations, you know, don't get carried away by the big, you know, 30% growth is huge. Let's not get carried away by that. Now that, that was an anomaly. That was a one-off. That doesn't happen every year. The good news is we, it happens sort of in a console transition year because actually console sales, what the the peak of a peak of a games industry in the console space tends to be two or three years into the console so that stuff might help mask some decline and nintendo seems i don't understand the switch at the minute it doesn't seem to be slowing down that's the thing from last year like ps4 and xbox one sales slowed down after the initial lockdown nintendo just kept on going um it was just and i just at one point that's got to slow down as well but um which may which may harm things a bit but um and I mean, if anything, I think Nintendo's got the hardest task actually bringing them up because you look at Ring Fit Adventure, you look at Just Dance. I mean, those are the those are the most fickle of customers. Those are the ones that are most likely not to pick up again. I think uh, in the uh, in the new year, um, and Nintendo aren't the best at online engagement stuff either. And they're not they're a lot better than they used to be. Um, if you play Tetris Ninety Nine, which I do a lot, they're quite good with stuff like that. But um, they are uh, i think i think they've got the they've managed to attract a real big audience of people who are most likely to not need nintendo once um <clears throat> once the once they can do other things but um i have no idea what my point was i've gone off on so many tangents in that little it's switch owners and game pass subscribers i'm most intrigued to see what happens to them because like, as we were saying earlier like there are so so many subscriptions out there and <sighs> As Rob said in his column today, um, which was about the the attempted Xbox Live uh, high price hike, um, just with the amount of like music and TV and streaming subscriptions on top of your mobile bill, your internet costs, etc., subscriptions are the ones that are hardest to drop. Like you know, people might put their Switch down and you know leave it and not play it for a while, but they still own their Switch. And you granted Game Pass, but Game Pass subscribers will still own their Xbox. Like you have to hope that if someone has spent. 200 to 500 pounds on an xbox they will and, and and then a game pass subscription you will have hoped that they've bought something to play on that xbox other than just the game pass because otherwise they then have a very large expensive mm. black box sitting in their le- living room but like i'm just i'm intrigued to see wh- how well subscriptions hold up because as much as microsoft is doing a great job of adding more and more to that subscription there is so much ridiculous amounts of choice on it but as you say like if you've already got if you've subscribe to game pass and then you've bought one or two games and you find yourself playing those one or two games or you find yourself buying you know playing the yeah. free games like rocket league or fortnite or apex legends or whatever and you realize oh actually i haven't i mean i i question now like i know matt chose game pass as his uh, game of the year because he's played so many game pass titles last year i don't know how many i played if i'm honest like beyond dipping in and out of a few old favorites um i don't know how many game pass games yeah. i actually played so i don't even have game I just, pass <laughs> Can I justify still subscribing? That's the one where it's so much easier to drop a however many pound a month subscription than it is yeah. to drop a an entire hundred so, yeah multi, triple figure console. So subscriptions are is you know I'm looking into this at the moment for games industry. subscriptions is um is really hard because it's it's it, you 
We'll do this thing right in a minute and people will say that Game Pass is Microsoft's install base, but you hit upon it there, James. The difference with Microsoft's Game Pass, the thing with Game Pass being Microsoft's install base is Game Pass subscribers can go down. PS4's install base doesn't go down. Um, you know, they just add more and more copies every time they sell a console. And um, so you do need to keep people, give people a reason to keep playing and um and they did quite a good job of that last year you know they didn't have a they had a lot of games but not a lot of big games and then they signed ea 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 play was their big christmas hit right if you look at if you look at microsoft's console being the get game pass their big signing was ea play it was huge loads and loads and loads of games added to that triple a games added to that service and you look at this year and you think right what is it that's going to keep people playing what's going to keep the uptick going what's going and there were plenty of old games as the legacy games but um um, and there'll be a load of sort of interesting filler titles as well from some of their newer studios and, and some of the indie games. But you know full well the game that will do the biggest spike for them is Halo Infinite. And that's not till the end of the year. So I'll be really... Fa- I'm not, I know Xbox are really, really aggressive in this space. They're not being tentative about it. It's so important for them that that number keeps going up. So I expect them to be signing and um, doing deals and getting big games into the platform. It doesn't have to be a brand new one. Just, it just needs to be a significant one, I think. I think subscriptions is really difficult. And you're, you're right, you will see post-pandemic people going, I don't need Game Pass anymore. I don't have time for it. And that's the thing, actually, where I mentioned this a few times on podcast. Strauss Zelnick said many, many years ago that, that his, his average customer plays one or two games a year. Right, so that's what he's seeing. So that's why they're always sceptical of subscription services because if the majority of their customers are only playing one or two games a year, why put your game into a subscription service with a hundred titles in there? Um, why would someone subscribe to it? Why would I know why some people would, but why would a huge audience of people subscribe to a service to play hundreds of games when they only play one or two? Um, and that is the um, and that's the thing that that's the challenge that Xbox has got to sort of um, uncover. And Xbox's opinion, and they may well be right, is that. Um, um, people will play more if it's more affordable, more accessible. And they may well be right. And I'd say we're still early doors. Like 18 million is a lot, but it's not like, you know, it's only a little bit more than the Wii U sold. It's um, so it, it's we've still got we're still yet to see it really get into the mainstream. But, um, but, but and so there's still a little bit of doubt there. I, I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. Um, I think it's a wonderful service for certain people. Um, but I think Xbox is about delivering constant games, uh, whether it's theirs or someone else's, in order to keep people playing. And I think the pandemic sort of coming to an end will present their first challenge of trying to maintain momentum on that. And I think they will, but it, it, I'll be interested to see what they do. At the very least, we can, it's not a, a needle mover, but at the very least, I reckon we'll see the entire Bethesda back catalogue on there by the end of the year, once the deal has gone through, right? Yeah, well, they've added some. They've added loads already. Um, to... They've added some already, yeah, but I'm looking forward to like when, also when they put on like all the Wolfensteins, Morrowind, Oblivion, mm. all the um, well, this all is, the Dishonored collection. This is interesting, because I, I obviously find it quite, you know, it, it's good for Microsoft want to space those out. And I find this quite funny, because whenever I go on Nintendo forums, which I know I shouldn't do, I'm a Nintendo fan, I just send my the amount of Nintendo fans who are angry with Nintendo for still doing Wii U ports. And why didn't they do it all in the first year and just get them out of the way? As <laughs> if they're somehow, you know, I, I know they are oblivious to the idea that, you know, the, the, people, they need to keep, it's about keeping, p- giving a reason every month or every other month to play. You know, they don't want to, they don't throw all their games out at the same time and go, there you go, and wander off and go to sleep. It's, um, but it's, um, uh, you do get that, um, you know, and I think, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Bethesda's back catalog. They've got other back catalogs as well. Like some of those other studios they've bought have quite a lot of legacy games, and we will probably expect to see that sort of drip feed out and past Xbox games as well, and and, and those sort of things. Um, will you know, 
just appear on there over time. And Microsoft probably has a nice little schedule of those. But Bethesda games are actually not small at all. They're quite big. I just it's a bit funny that the first big Bethesda games are all um <laughs> are all uh, PlayStation titles for the next generation. So um, um again we have to wait a while before those really triple A's start to come along. Um but I mean it's Microsoft know what to do. They know how to sign this stuff. They'll they'll have identified where they feel that they there's gaps in the schedule and where they'll need to um they need to react and maybe they, you know, bring some big Ubisoft games. Maybe when Cyberpunk's fixed, that'd be a good game to to bring into the service or something. You mentioned the uh, when the pandemic ends uh, a little bit ago, and I, and I think that that's actually another thing that will sort of soften whatever kind of uh, decline the industry sees as a result of this. And it's just because if the pandemic were ending on Wednesday and it was just kind of like an abrupt thing, I would not touch video games for weeks. I would be going to movies. Yeah, yeah. I for would sure, be 100%. Out. Yeah. I would be going yeah. to Maple Leafs games, whatever. Just, you know, I would be <laughs> doing stuff. I would go to the mall and just sit there yeah. surrounded by people <laughs> and say, this is amazing. Dude, Have do, do you remember the mall? Yeah. <laughs> Point being, like, no no video games, really, because I've, I've been doing that for, for a year now. Um, but that's not the way it's going to happen. You know, people are households are not going to all get vaccinated at the same time. Like even within the household kids, they haven't even tested these vaccines on kids under 12. So, you know, whenever you get vaccinated, your kids might be, you know, who knows how long after that. So it's going to be like, people are still going to be wearing masks and distancing and, Everyone's going to have their own different comfort level, even when you're allowed to have concerts or whatever again. It's going to be like a real slow, gradual, I think, ramp up back to uh, the kind of normal or at least the, the array of other entertainment options that people were used to before the pandemic. And for video games, I mean, that's just going to be the people that fall away are going to fall away here and there over a long stretch of time, I think. Oh, yeah, we're not going to suddenly see a, a, a mass exodus. Although, of course, when eventually it is all open up, we'll probably find ourselves in a really, really bad recession. So there'll be even bigger problems mm. um, problems to uh, uh, to deal with. Um, it's something you mentioned like a while ago now, but I've been thinking about about the switch. And one, one thing that I, the only thing I disagreed with in your, in your feature, actually, is about how um, there's better indie games like in terms of quality on, on the Switch compared to I think you compare it to the Wii or the Wii U I can't remember the Wii I think and I actually don't necessarily agree with that because I think the eShop is a bit of a that could be actually a, a downfall of the Switch in terms of retaining players because I feel like it's becoming a lot more like yeah just a lot of titles that are like one two pounds and that the quality is not there and I think that could be an issue in retaining players you don't necessarily know about what the latest good game is supposed to be looking like mm, and yeah. they open the eShop and they, they can't find something of quality yeah, they just won't bother returning and I think that's that's something like Indies actually brought up that issue last year um, I think it was Mike Rose who like led that movement of like talking about the challenges of the eShop and like 
there's a lot of issues with it in like I think it's ranking things by unit sales instead of revenue which means the smaller games that are constantly on sale are always going to be at the top and that it's easier to find them uh, also they, they were saying that it's too basic to allow for like organic discoverability and stuff like that so I think I think that's going to be an issue maybe in retaining players um, if Nintendo doesn't yeah. like improve its shop I think what I meant go. was, um, and I, did, I know I get you saying, there is a lot of rubbish on the eShop, and the eShop's not great at discoverability, and there's always loads of things there. I just meant that towards the end of the Wii, I mean, there was a Zelda game and there's a Mario game, but almost everything that came out on it was rubbish. And it wasn't that there was some good games hidden amongst the rubbish. I just don't think there was any good games. It was just constant, mm. <laughs> constant Zumba fitness games and, and carnival games and just constant stuff like that. The guff stuff that's in the headlines is things like, you know, Hades and, and, and all those sort of cool games. And I know there's rubbish there too. And I don't mean that's, I just meant that, um, um, the, the third party stuff that Nintendo has on this console isn't outside you know nintendo's games are still great they were great on wii and they were great on the wii u so you move them to the side and you look at the rest of the games and and nintendo don't have a lot of triple a third party support but they have a lot of indie support whereas they did have a lot of triple a third party support at least some with the wii but it was all tap and i just sort of meant that you know i think this time that there are there is some good stuff um, on the Switch continually coming out from some quality mm. indies. I don't know if it's actually a great point. I don't know. It was just it was more of a throwaway line, actually. I chucked in there. But I know <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, there is a lot of... And the Wii eShop is pretty rubbish. Like, I, I, don't, I actually tried to buy a game I wanted in the eShop over Christmas. It took me a while to find it. And I <laughs> even knew the name of the game. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. I think you're definitely right, Marie, that um, the discoverability... Issues like have, having these great indie games on the Switch uh, won't do a whole lot to retain the casual or mainstream audience uh, if if people just can't find them because or don't know about mm. them because they're just not being you know featured, highlighted. The 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 signal is sorry that being drowned out by the noise. I think the issue is like the sheer volume of lower quality games drowning out the higher quality stuff, particularly in the indie space. It's, just, it's a problem of any digital marketplace, like whether it's games or, or otherwise. Any open digital marketplace is just flooded with extra stuff. It's, it, but that's a whole, whole other topic, and I feel we are running out of time. Um, we're going to wrap up there. Uh, we will be back on Monday with your usual new show. In the meantime, do go and listen to our spin-off shows. We've got the Game Developers Playlist. Uh, the most recent one is on The Evil Within 2. Uh, and we have our Five Games Of series, which I have finally finally edited the latest en- entry of that. We have the composer Jesper Kidd talking about how he worked on the music for the original Hitman, various Assassin's Creed, all of the Borderlands games. Um, and as a, soundtrack, as a soundtrack nerd, I had a lot of fun with that conversation. So go and listen to that. You you can find all previous episodes on the podcasting platform of your choice and you can find more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Music